0: So much of what we know is possible today, people once thought was impossible. Here's some examples. So in the 18th century, the French Academy of Sciences famously stating that rocks don't fall from the sky. Only a couple of years later to realize, oh, meteorites are actually real. Uh, 1895, British physicist Lord Kelvin said, heavier than air, flying machines are impossible. Eight years later, Wright brothers. Space travel, Jules Verne once imagined that a cannon could launch someone to the moon, but no one in the, in the 19th century thought it was possible to achieve escape velocity and yet survive without killing passengers. Albert Einstein's, Einstein stated in 1934 that not, there is not even the slightest indication that nuclear energy will ever be obtainable. It would mean that the atom would have to be shattered at will. Well, today we're shattering at will, creating energy, weapons, it's easy to laugh at what people once thought was impossible, uh, but this is still happening, right? Current scientific advances are pushing the limits of what we currently believe is possible. Remember when I was a kid, I dreamed about having an invisibility cloak. Yeah, you did. Good, I'm glad to see I'm not alone. Uh, Especially during chore time. And would you know that scientists are getting closer to discovering how to put together metamaterials In order to bend light around objects. This is awesome. (laughs) Now, okay, so an invisibility cloak might be possible within my lifetime. I'm sure I couldn't afford it, but I still love the idea. Um, Teleportation. It's the stuff of science fiction, right? Well, uh, maybe not, because physicists are wrestling with this quantum phenomenon called entanglement. Any physicists in the room? Do my best to describe it. It's basically. Particles aren't, are mysteriously linked, even though they're separated by a great distance. So imagine an internet not just for information, but an internet for objects. How crazy would that be? It's not impossible. And you know, I wonder what else? What else do we deem impossible now, that in five, 10, 50, 100 years, be like, oh, yeah, of course rocks crawl, fall from the sky, of course we can go to the moon, of course you can dodge towards with an invisibility cloak, right? But scientists are still searching for this theory of everything, this unified theory that will make sense of every detail in our universe. But at the same time, several, uh, a large group of theoretical physicists say that this idea of a theory of everything, it needs to die. Because in any unified theory, there are always unexpected complexities, always surprises, always these, these hidden possibilities. And here's why I mention all of that. I mean, If the brightest people among us are unreliable at figuring out what's physically possible in our universe, could it be that we are maybe not very reliable at figuring out what's relationally possible or spiritually possible, intellectually possible, emotionally possible? I mean, what if our realm of possibility is just inherently limited, tragically limited at times. And when we look around for possibilities, is it the case that everything we see, like Simon and Garfunkel wrote, is this hazy shade of winter, where there's no possibility out beyond this this wintry scene? Those are the questions I wanna think about today. Um, And what we might be missing out on by living within a small, a truncated realm of possibility? I mean, maybe missing out on invisibility cloaks and teleportation, you know, that's not a big deal. But what else might we be missing out on that's bigger? I mean, could it be that we're missing out on on God's provision, on the hope that he provides, on things that are deeper and beyond whatever we believe this realm of possibility is? So with those questions in mind, let's approach... Jesus' fourth sign. It's recorded in John's biography. And John records these seven signs, and he calls them signs. Uh, They're miracles of Jesus, but he calls them signs because he doesn't see them just as these random acts of power uh, that that Jesus is performing to wow people. Uh, He calls them signs because they're pointing to something else, pointing to something else about Jesus' identity, pointing to something else about his mission and what he's all about. And on this fourth sign... There's something else here that is pointing to a mysterious provision that God provides uh, that's going to challenge our assumed realm of possibility in whatever area of life we're thinking about. I'm going to read this account in full. It's recorded in John 6, and then we'll look at some of the details. So John 6, verse 1, says this. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. And Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish, Jewish Passover feast was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Why should we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of these people to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, "Have the people sit down? There's plenty of grass in the place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had all enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Before Jesus performed this sign, he's asking Philip a question. And I think what's going on here is he's testing. It says that Jesus said, asked this question to test. I think he's testing Philip's realm of possibility. He's saying, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? And Philip answers within what all of us would consider just a normal realm of possibility, right? This is a lot of people. I mean, there's no way we're going to find enough bread to feed all of these people. Andrew chimes in, yeah, there's a boy here with a little food. but We didn't come with food, and there's not enough to go around. So they're both in this frame of mind, and it's realistic, right? It's normal. This is just the way things work. You need a lot of food to feed this many people. And... I know that sometimes this story is called the feeding of the 5,000, but if you notice the detail in, in the text, it said there's 5,000 men, so probably we're talking about oh, maybe 20,000 people. It's a huge group of people. Of course they didn't have enough food to feed all these people, right? Well, or so they thought. As Jesus tells his disciples to start passing out food, and it doesn't explain exactly how this happened, but... Like They started passing out food, and and more just kept coming out of nowhere, whether people were reaching into the baskets and just kept finding more, but this food just kept spreading, and people started having food until everyone had something to eat. Enough food was produced out of nowhere to feed 20,000 people with leftovers. And at first, probably the people didn't really know what was going on, and it was a big crowd spread (laughs) over these hills, but... At one point, the word started to spread, there's something crazy going on here. And it started by this guy named Jesus. And so this rumor started to drift through the crowd about something miraculous going on. And then it it started to rise to a fever pitch. Before Jesus knew it, there's this whole mob of people that wanted to kind of take him aside and plan this revolution to get rid of the Romans. And I mean, because he was, God sent one that they believed he was going to, going to um, launch this mission for them. But Jesus said, no, this isn't this isn't the point. I'm not done with my mission yet. This isn't the plan. And so he withdraws, escapes into the mountains to get away. But as the story goes on, what I didn't read there is the crowds keep chasing him down. I mean they want to get a hold of Jesus and they want him to provide for them. So they chase him down, finally find him on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus can't escape anymore, and he addresses them there, and we see that later on in chapter 6, where he says, speaking to this whole crowd, truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, these people are just absolutely thrilled that somehow they got a free meal out of the deal when they were listening to Jesus teach. and. The something else that this sign pointed to, that wasn't really on their radar. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't sinking in at this point. Jesus is, is saying, you're seeking this temporary provision that, that you thought was pretty cool, but, I mean, why set your sights so low? Why just long for this provision of food that you experienced a little while ago? Well, what, about, what about lasting provision? Do you care about that? Do you, what about eternal provision? Are you willing to believe that I am capable of giving you not just food, but something much, much deeper? I think that people are intrigued, but they're not sure. So they respond with this demand in verses 30 to 31. They asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? Which is ironic given the fact they're chasing Jesus down because they just saw him feed 20,000 people. But they say, well, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written... He gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, they're saying, okay, that miracle he did on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, that was okay. He fed 20,000 people. But remember how more than 1,000 years ago, after God had released the the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt and and sent them into the wilderness, they were grumbling for something to eat. God provided for them, for this entire nation of people, God provided this, uh, what's called manna, this grain-like substance, it came down like snow every night. So when people got up in the morning. The ground was covered with this manna, and they just had to go out, collect what they needed, and they had food for the day. It's like, Jesus, I wonder if you can do something like that. Like I'm gonna, We're going to up the ante and see if you're for real. Um, so they want Jesus to prove it and do something maybe better than this this manna miracle. Jesus kind of receives that offer and raises it, I think, because he launches into something... Uh, It's really hard for these people to fit within their realm of possibility. I mean, their realm of possibility is pretty big because they believe in this miracle. They just saw Jesus feed 20,000 people. But here's what Jesus comes out with He says, I'm the manna. He says in verses 35 and 36 I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you see me and you still don't believe. In other words, he's saying limitless provision is standing right in front of you and you're asking me for bread. People ate the manna in the wilderness. That was incredible, but those people died. Jesus continues to teach this. He says, But I'm going to give you a lasting provision that will mean that death doesn't even have to be the final reality for you. This was hard for people to to get. This is is really difficult for folks to swallow, and it might be that way for you this morning as well. Uh, And we see that even people who were already committed to Jesus were like, I don't know. This seems far-fetched. In verse 66, it says, From that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Why do you think that is? I mean, yeah, the teaching's hard, but like, what, what's really going on here? There's probably a lot of things. I think partly, you know, Jesus had this pattern of teaching in images and metaphors, and people are just like, I don't even understand what you're saying. You know, this is, this is crazy. And Jesus said, you know, it's only people who really have ears to hear that are going to get this. People who, who, um, in whom God is working. But I think there's another reason people turn their backs on him. It's because they were, they were wanting something else. Not the something else Jesus was going to provide. I think they were wanting a, a divine vending machine. or Some variety of it. The, the basic pattern that goes, you know, I have a desire, I have a need. For them, it was like, wow, this would be really cool if we could get food all the time from this guy. Um, so have the desire. I put a quarter in and out comes that desired provision. You know. And unfortunately, that was common then. I think it's common now. This idea that following Jesus or, or committing your life to God means he will give you everything that you want when you want it. Um, th- there's this movement, global movement right now. It's really popular around the world and in our country. I think some of the, the most popular speakers today who even claim to be Christian are, are using some version of this. It's often called prosperity theology, and the basic message is this. If you believe in Jesus, if you go to church, if, you, if you're a good person, if you give money, God is going to respond by making your business flourish, by plumping your bank accounts. He's going to give you a new car. Life is going to be good for you. That is false. Jesus never, never taught prosperity. It's a twisting of, of the good news of Christianity. Um, in fact, Jesus warned against this kind of perspective, that this is how God works. Um, but Jesus did promise provision. Now, what's the difference between provision and, and prosperity? Um, well, it begins with what Jesus is offering is, is a deeper kind of provision. So it's not just you know a new car, uh, success in business and these things. It begins with, A kind of provision that goes way beyond a a normal realm of possibility when we think about how we would want God to provide. Because Jesus is saying something like this with this bread of life talk. Saying, trust in me. Align your life with mine. And I am going to provide for your deepest needs. Uh, In a mysterious way, he's saying, I will be for you Everything that you are incapable of being on your own. I will be just. I will be peaceable. I will be humble. Other centered Compassionate. Merciful. Long suffering. All of these things that you might long to be and can't be. I will be that for you. Now that's beyond a normal realm of possibility in my opinion. When you actually receive that kind of provision. When that becomes real for you. Your perspective changes. Perspective changes on the other things that you might have thought you really needed before or, or clamored for, and that's why Jesus starts there. Uh, this reality that the deeper that you rest in who God is for you in Jesus and, and tap into, by his grace, this, this incredibly deep provision of his life for ours, um, it changes your perspective on life and your perspective on, on what you really need. Um, yes. Yet there's still that question, right? There's still that question of the practical provision. Does, does God care for that area of my life? It, totally fair question. I mean, does God, does God care and is he capable of providing practically for us? Like, can God provide, provide you a job that you, you want to pay the bills and that will actually give you life? Can God provide healing for a broken relationship? Can God provide you wisdom for a difficult relationship? I mean does God really provide in these practical ways? Real needs. And the simple answer to that question? Absolutely. Yes, yes. God, God can provide and he does provide. Because he cares about those details of our lives. He cares about them deeply and longs to provide for you as a part of this real relationship with Him, where you, you talk to God about things you need, and He actually responds. Um, and Jesus once said it really bluntly. He said, "You haven't experienced God's provision because you haven't asked. You haven't trusted deeply enough to really ask." And, and when Jesus was talking to His disciples about what this conversation with God looks like, He said. You approach God like a father and you say, "Father, give me what I need for today. Give us today our daily bread. It's in this prayer that Jesus taught, and this idea of, of give, give me what I need for today and teach me how to worry about tomorrow. You know Keep my sights right here and help me see that you actually respond to my very practical conversation with you. So God is active in the world, he's active in our lives, and that's why I say yes, absolutely, he provides in those practical ways. Uh, But there's a, a hard part of this as well. You know, the hard part is that, yes, God provides, but it's not always in the way that we expect. It's not always according to our timeline. And so, you know, much like the crowd who's thinking, right, God can do this, so give us something like the manna. And Jesus says, well... I want to give you something bigger. Are you ready? Are you willing? Are you, are you willing for that realm of possibility to expand to something much bigger and then have that put these things in perspective? Uh, there's tons of examples of this in my own life. Uh, the one that came to me as I, as I was preparing for this is, uh, I think I was a freshman in college, and it was everything was new, right? I was away from home, experiencing relationships, Fresh and something I really wrestled with when I moved away from home is just started getting really impatient with people. I'm um, impatient with my parents, starting to realize some of their bigger flaws, you know, that I hadn't realized before. i um, patient with my friends, impatient with myself, just getting really irritable with people. Um, so, uh, based on this promise that God gives, I said, "Right, right, I'm going to ask for patience. God, give me patience because this is you know, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to constantly feel irritable with people and patient. So I started praying multiple times a day. God, give me patience. Make this real. Give me patience. And maybe 10, 10 days, two weeks after starting to pray that, uh, I broke my wrist playing flag football. And um, suddenly it was a really bad break. So uh, I had to have it in a sling up, up against my body and I could not do a lot of things I love to do, um, playing music, sports, um, dancing, and all those regular life routines, right, like getting dressed and feeding yourself, just took so much more time, and it was so frustrating. Um, but I was like, well, I'm in this cast for like three months. I'm going to have to learn how to deal with it. And it, it was fascinating as I was forced to slow down in some of these regular rhythms and be patient with myself and just patient with the way that life looked after breaking my wrist, I started to develop some more patience with my friends and with my family. Uh, It had this ripple effect in my life. As I dealt with impatience with feeding myself, I was able to deal with impatience uh, relating to other people. And I realized in that moment, oh my goodness, God gave me God provided patience, but I had to break my wrist to experience it. You know, never in my wildest dreams would I have wanted that, but it worked. <laughs> I still struggle with impatience, but I kind of point to that as God bringing me along in this journey in a, in a very specific way. I realize that, okay, so God's provision doesn't always arrive according to our expectations, not according to our timeline. Uh, but his provision is real. And however you experience it, whether immediate provision or delayed provision, it's going to drive you to the provision God has already provided that is equally real. It's what I mentioned before of of this offer of God in Jesus saying, this is my life for you. Everything is yours. Always and forever available. So when, um, when provision doesn't happen, according to our expectations or our timeline. It's this opportunity, really, opportunity to realize what God has already provided that is always available. Uh, but it's also an opportunity to, to keep asking, to, to work on this relationship with God, to actually talk to him, actually trust and, and make this real, um, and rest in the meantime that he is going to respond, but according to his timeline and according to his wisdom what we really need. Um, I think nothing more beautifully exemplifies this than Jesus' own prayer. When he's it's, it's the night he's arrested and he, he's just before his, his death by crucifixion. And he's in the garden and he is wrestling with what he knows is coming and he doesn't want it to happen. And so he's saying, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. So he begins with that reality of there is no realm of of impossibility and everything's possible take this away from me that's what he says but not my will but what you will I think that's incredible because you have bold requests based on the fact that everything is possible with God paired immediately with humble submission in Jesus we see it and I long for that I long for that for myself. I long for that for you, to have this kind of relationship with God where bold requests and, and humble reliance can be paired together. Uh, because when provision does happen, then we can celebrate it. We, we need to share about it. We need to we need to tell these stories well because it happens. It's happened this week in our community. It's continuing to happen. And um, you know, I thought, if we need to tell these stories, and let's tell a story. Um, right when I was Preparing for this, one of our participating members, Russ Keenan, came to me. And I asked him how he's doing. He said, man, God's just provided for me in some remarkable ways. I'm humbled. And I was like, can we tell your story? Uh, So we we had an opportunity to video him this week. Uh, Just giving the timing of it, I think it's so good to hear about it. Uh, We need to celebrate it and make this really real. Like this happens. So let's let's listen to Russ's story as he guides us through what
1: this looked like. As I was pulling my Jeep onto the highway on 85, uh, heading towards work, um, I started to notice I had no power, and as I was, you know, hitting the pedal and trying to push and push and look down, there was an engine light, and my my Jeep pretty much had broken down. So I'm drifting and coasting, and eventually come to a stop in the emergency lane, and you know the. Uh, the, the engine light's on, it would, would not turn over. Um, I, I, I had just gotten to a point uh, of brokenness because of this. Um, uh, my two, two family members uh, back home uh, just in the last few weeks had both gone through major surgery. I um, had a brother who um, had had a stent put in, he had a heart attack, uh, his younger brother. And my mom, who was still in the hospital at the time, was having major surgery done in her stomach. And I couldn't be with them. I just longed to be with them, but I was just not able to. Um, my business, I, I didn't know how I was going to even make rent. I didn't know how uh, I was going to you know, make payments on my mortgage and all the other responsibilities I had. And I, I for the first time in a long time, felt helpless. I didn't know what to do. My name is Russ Keeney. Uh, I've been a participating member at Warehouse for only a couple of years, but I've attended here for probably about nine years. Um, I'm originally from Massachusetts. I came down 22 years ago. And, uh, finished, uh, finished my seminary education down here. And uh, presently I work in private practice as a counselor here in the Charlotte area. Uh, done this for the last eight years and uh, as of recently I've been doing so, it full time so as I'm sitting there in the jeep uh, heading to work um, uh, to my counseling practice where I had a number of clients who were coming in because they were broken um, and I was helping them fix I I, I felt very alone as a counselor um, You know, who counsels the counselor who teaches the teacher who preaches to the pastor who polices the policeman i mean that i've heard that so often and it was true because who do i call you know who do i call to come help me most of my friends are in work um you know i i didn't know what to do i i was at a point where you know all the things i try to coach people into thinking and helping them through were running through my mind and uh, of course it doesn't work that way i probably needed my own counselor sitting next to me to do it but um, I felt like there was nothing I could do. I felt broken. I, I felt like this, this just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't seem to be a part of the dream of having my own practice and, and doing diligent work, that it all comes crumbling down as I'm sitting there trying to start my Jeep back up. In the last week and a half, uh, I have discovered that although I've been a Christian for 35 years, um, I've, I've been trained in seminary. I, I, you know, I'm trying as diligently as I can to live a Christian life that God has not through with me, that, that, that I'm not a finished product. Uh, so I'm, as I'm sitting there in my Jeep, um, and I'm wondering, God, where are you? Uh, I think about it now, and I, I realize he was, he was there. Uh, the brokenness I felt, I needed to feel. I needed to get to a point where I really trust Him, because I think I think I've been in uh, auto mode for for a while now, and I think we all have a tendency to do that. Uh, knowing that God will not ever let me go, that He cares about me, uh, that He cares when I'm suffering, He cares when I feel helpless, and that more than that, He will provide. He makes it his priority to provide for me as as his child, and it's it's a, it's an amazing, valuable lesson. It reawakens so many things I hadn't thought about for years, uh, but it's it's something that's very timely and very needed for me as well.
0: So Russ experienced this deeper provision that God is for him, um, that he will never let him go. And what Russ didn't mention is that right after that, an unexpected insurance check arrived that paid for his bills. A friend gave a car for him to use. A brother helped with car repairs. An interview came along that might provide him with additional income. All this stuff, all at once, came. And so it's this practical provision alongside this realization of how God has already provided that is real. I mean, we live in a universe where God provides. And that doesn't mean that everything is going to be smooth sailing. You know, it's, uh, it's tough. The journey is tough. Um, but It means that there is a God who watches over our journey and that does, in surprising and gracious ways, actually provides. And his desire then is for us to ask him about that, to be honest about where we are and what we need, and and to work that out in a real relationship. Marilyn Chandler McIntyre, she's a professor uh, at UC Berkeley, she wrote about this worship gathering where the pastor was teaching about God's provision, and midway through his sermon, he stopped and said, I want everybody in six words to write down their spiritual autobiography. That was kind of odd, but she... She took the challenge, she thought about it, she was kind of stuck at first, and then six words emerged for her They didn't really describe exactly where she was, but they did describe her dream of a life lived in the realm of God's possibilities and not hers, a world where God provides. She wrote down these six words, eat the manna, more will come. What if we lived by that? Receive God's provision for today, more will come. I think that would be a liberating mantra to live by. Receive what God has for you today. More will come. Please pray with me. God, teach us to receive what you are providing in this moment, uh, moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. and Give us the humility to, to receive what we need for today. To trust that you desire to provide and that more will come. We ask for, in this moment, uh, joy that we can receive not just a temporary provision from you, but a deep provision, the, the bread of life that you offer, your own life for ours, which is sheer gift. God, I ask that you would give us eyes to see the depth and the color and the beauty and mystery of, of who you are. And how you are involved in our lives to provide. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So speaking of provision, um, I think one of the most beautiful and terrifying things about having children is that they are utterly dependent on you to provide everything that they need. I remember when Steph and I brought Eden home from the hospital, thinking, oh my goodness. We cannot provide for this little human being. What are we going to do? And yet, hour by hour, day by day, you kind of figure it out. But from the very beginning, there's this child who who know like, these are the faces that smile at me. This is the body that feeds me. These are the people that love, and love me and will provide for me. And you're thinking, I can't do that. I can't be that person. Which is a beautiful image in and of itself for who God is for us. Um... But, you know, every parent feels out of their depth when it comes to raising kids and that, that we are far from perfect. And it's that recognition, actually, that moves us in this community to, to bring children before the community and before God and to say, we can't do this on our own. And God needs to be this child's father. Um, and we need this community to be a bigger family for this child. So we need God's promises to sustain us. And we need unity of faith to support us, and we need to be committed to working out what it means to help them follow Jesus. So today, we, we have the privilege of a, a dedication. Um, today, Andrew and Lauren King are coming up to dedicate Evelyn. You guys can come up right now if you're ready. Seem impossible to you is possible with God. So receive Jesus as the bread of life, and receive God's provision for you today. More will come. Go in grace.